Our great example and instructor in prayer is the Lord Jesus Christ. In God's Word, we find everything we need to develop a life of prayer. Join Scott Pauley today as we study the Bible together. Why don't we pray more? If we truly believe that God hears and answers prayer, if we understand that this is God's way of meeting our daily needs, then why do we neglect prayer? If I said to you, here's a bank account with several million dollars in it, and whatever your need is, you have access to the whole thing. Uh, you, you have total access to it. Well, you'd be a fool to neglect it. Someone would say, no, I, I'm going to use it uh, as much as I need to, and I'm going to take care of it. And yet, we have access to all of heaven's resources, to the very God of heaven, and yet we neglect prayer. Well, could it be that one of the reasons we so neglect prayer is that when you truly begin to pray, God begins to show you yourself. You see, prayer doesn't just bring you to get your needs met. Prayer begins to show you who you really are in God's sight. It begins to show you spiritual needs and spiritual realities. It brings us to a truth today. We've learned that true prayer is based on relationship, our Father which art in heaven. True prayer has always begun with worship. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. And we've learned that true prayer is built day by day. Give us day by day our daily bread. But now I bring you to this thought. True prayer always brings you to repentance. You see... In Luke chapter 11, this model prayer ends with repentance. Verse 4 says, And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If ever there was a verse that encapsulates a heart of true repentance, it is Luke chapter 11 and verse number 4. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, there's the act of repentance and forgive us our sins. There's a moment where we say, I want to be right with God. And notice that being right with God is also connected to being right with others. As soon as he says, and forgive us our sins, he says, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. This doesn't mean uh, that I forgive only so I can be forgiven. No, that's not at all what it means. It means that God's way is that we're to be right with Him and right with others, and those two things are always connected. You can't be right with God and hold bitterness. You can't be right with God and, and harbor unforgiveness. As a matter of fact, if you back up to the gospel according to Mark for just a moment, to Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. We love to quote that verse, but you don't hear verse 25 quoted as often. And when you stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. <laughs> verse 24 says you have to have faith. Verse 25 says you have to have forgiveness. In other words, it's not enough to simply say, well, I prayed and I believe God answers prayer. Are you right with the Lord? Are you right with others? Is there anything between you and God? 
Is there anything between you and someone else? Because if there is something between, then there's something between you and answered prayer. There's something between you and God's blessing. Is the Holy Spirit putting His finger on anything like that in your life at this moment? Then you must begin with repentance. And in true prayer, you must say, Lord, forgive me, and Lord, I will forgive. But then notice the end of the verse. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now why connect that part of the prayer with the previous? Because really it's just an extension. You see, repentance is not just an act. Repentance is a way of life. The first part of the verse is the act of repentance. Forgive us, and Lord, I will forgive. But the second half of the verse is a life of repentance. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, I I don't want to even take the first step towards evil. I want to flee from temptation. And not only do I want to flee from temptation, I want you to deliver me from all evil. I want to be kept from evil. You see, true repentance creates in a man a desire for holiness. I believe a desire for holiness is evidence of true repentance. When people say they've come to get right with God, but they want to continue in their sin, that's evidence that they've not truly repented. You see, repentance is simply to say, I've changed my mind. God's worked in me and there's been a change of mind about my sin. I don't want this anymore. I want God's way. I want to be kept from evil. I don't want to sin again. If a person just simply prays flippantly, Lord, forgive me of that, and then wants to go right on with the same sin, then my friend, he is turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness, the Bible said, unbridled lust, doing what he wants to. He's abusing the grace of God. He's making it something God never intended for it to be. True prayer brings us to repentance. Before it lifts us up, it brings us low. Before it brings us into all of the blessing, it first forces us to see ourselves in the presence of a holy God. Do you remember where this prayer started? Hallowed be thy name. God is holy. But could I remind you when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in all of his holiness, he responded by saying, Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Peter saw the Lord in all of his glory, he said, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. When John saw the Lord in all of his glory and holiness, he played like a dead man. You see, if you get a true glimpse of a holy God, you're also going to get a different glimpse of yourself. And it's going to bring you to a place of real repentance. Now, may I point something interesting out to you? If you compare Luke chapter 11's model prayer with the model prayer in Matthew 6, and you remember I said that there were variations, there were distinctions. Well, one of the distinctions is that in Luke chapter 11, there is no conclusion to this prayer. Uh, The conclusion given in Matthew 6 is not given in Luke 11. The amen is not given here. Why? Because Jesus is about to use this point in the model prayer to launch in to advanced teaching, if you will, on the subject of prayer. He's about to press home some some spiritual keys to prayer that are found in the rest of Luke chapter number 11, and I'm looking forward to studying them with you. I want to challenge you to read the rest of Luke 11 on your own before we study the Word of God together again, because when we return, we're going to move beyond the model prayer to the real power in prayer. So many people want to memorize the model prayer and recite it, 
but then they miss the power. They have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Oh, friend, we want more than the form. We want the power. I end where we began with this most famous prayer. Jesus said, When ye pray, say. Could I show you that Jesus was actually assuming we would pray? He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray. Even his assumption is instruction. True followers want to talk to the leader. True disciples want to pray. Friend, when did you last pray? Truly pray. Well, I'm going to challenge you today to set aside some personal time. Get your Bible open to Luke 11. Use this as a pattern and enter into the place of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Thank you for joining us for today's study. We deeply appreciate your prayers for this work and hope that you'll visit our website, scottpauley.org, where you'll have an opportunity to invest in the gospel. Would you consider giving a gift to help us extend God's word to others? You'll also find many other encouraging resources. Our prayer for you is that with Christ, you will enjoy the journey.